truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Hola, greetings. Welcome to The Blaze On Demand and at The Blaze, where you can subscribe as well. I kind of forgot where we were for a second. This winter has crushed me. I mean, it is... It's crushing me. I just got a call from my daughter telling me she was stuck in the driveway after the plow came through. I made sure to get out there and clear out the drive this morning, and then the plow hadn't come through yet. I'm just a broken man right now, guys. I'm a broken man. But I do want to thank over 70, actually it's over 80,000 people have watched my birthday video of Noah that I tweeted out yesterday. Uh, It's kind of a make good for, I kind of crapped on his birthday here at the start of the show. So I want to thank all those people who have done a better job of wishing my son a happy birthday than I did yesterday. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Last name is spelled. For those of you that are just listening to us today, uh, the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We've got a jam-packed show coming up. Uh, some fake news are not coming your way. Also, we're going to look back in history at seven books that threatened the the history of Western civilization and see what lessons we can learn from that history about what may be in front of us in our future. Also, a provocative truth bomb coming your way a little bit later on, some Pop Culture Tuesday as well. And one of the cool things about getting to do this job is we get to support some fantastic causes like our friends over at Back to Jerusalem, and, and their mission is to reach closed countries between China and Jerusalem with the Word of God. And that's what we mean by closed countries. They don't want to let the ultimate hope found only in God's Word. They don't want to let it into their borders because they prefer to keep their people people oppressed instead. And yet our friends at Back to Jerusalem have found a clever little way uh, to get the word of God past the gatekeepers in these countries by shrinking it down uh, pretty small. I mean, it's almost like the size of a pill. It is Genesis to Revelation. It's the actual Bible. It's just put in a in a, in a package that might make it easier to, you know, smuggle's a dirty word. Let's just say sneak it in. We'll go with that one instead. But they need our help uh, to reach as many people as possible here on The Blaze. They're hoping that maybe 10,000 of us would donate $15. That's what it costs to get one of these Bibles through one of these closed countries like Iran, North Korea, uh, et cetera, China as well. Uh, if If that's something, a sacrifice you're willing to make, basically the cost for you and someone you know to have a fast food lunch, here's how you can help. Uh, Blazehelp.org is the number. That's blazehelp.org. Again, go to the website, blazehelp.org. And now, here's Aaron's update on what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Very Bad Business. The Houston Chronicle and the San Antonio Express News published an expose over the weekend of a long train of alleged and proven abuses by churches, pastors, and ministry workers affiliated with the Southern Baptist Convention. The piece details numerous stories of victims of offenses ranging from sexual misconduct to assault. The Chronicle states that these abuses took place over 20 years and affected over 700 victims. Attempting to draw a connection between SBC leadership and the crisis, the story names several SBC presidents and prominent pastors over the last few decades, such as Paige Patterson, Paul Pressler, Frank Page, and Edwin Young, to name a few. The current president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer, commented about the story on Twitter. 
The voices in this article should be heard as a warning sent from God calling the church to repent. As Christians, we are called to expose everything sinful to the light. The survivors in this article have done that at a personal cost few of us can fathom. I will pursue every possible avenue to bring the vast spiritual, financial, and organizational resources of the Southern Baptist Convention to bear on stopping predators in our midst. As a denomination, now is a time to mourn and repent. Changes are coming. They must. We cannot just promise to do better and expect that to be enough. But today, change begins with feeling the full weight of the problem. In other news, Trump rallied in El Paso last night. The fact is that the real collusion was between Hillary and the Democrats and the other side with Russia. That's where the collusion is. Well, I don't know, you heard, right? Today, we started a big, beautiful wall right on the Rio Grande. Right smack on the Rio Grande. Speaking of that supposed wall, the Democrats reached their compromise for border wall funding last night. The supposed agreement reportedly includes about $1.4 billion for 55 miles of border fencing. Having merely read that aloud, I think myself and all men in the audience really need the following T-boost right now. Just want to let you know you're sitting in my chair. (laughs) Is that a fact? Yeah, it's a fact. Well, for a man that don't go healed, you run your mouth kind of reckless, don't you? No need to go healed to get the bulge on a tub like you. Is that a fact? Hmm. That's a fact. I'm real scared. Damn right you're scared. I can see that in your eyes. All right, man, go ahead. Go ahead, skin it. Skin that smoke wagon and see what happens. Listen, mister, I'm I'm getting awful tired of your... I'm getting tired of your gas. Now jerk that piss to work. I said throw down, boy. something or just stand there and bleed. Minnesota Representative Elon Omar apologized for her anti-Semitism yesterday after being called out by Democratic leadership in Washington. The straw that broke the camel's back was this tweet when she said, quote, it's all about the Benjamins, baby. Whilst commenting on a report, GOP leader Kevin McCarthy would be punishing her and fellow freshman Representative Rashida Tlaib over their outspoken anti-Semitic views. Were you surprised by the, um, the criticism? Always surprised. Are you worried about losing committee assignments? Absolutely not. A mother in the United Kingdom was jailed for seven hours after being arrested in front of her children for calling a man a man on the Internet. The so-called transgender activist reported her supposed abuse and defamation to police who questioned her and took her electronics for the aforementioned seven hours. A bunch of journalists got ticked off after somebody saw a fake news shirt at Bloomingdale's. Hey, Bloomingdale's, this isn't funny or fashionable. It further delegitimizes hardworking journalists who bring real news to their comuntes. 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 Bloomingdale's apologized and removed the shirts from their shelves within the day. 
Katy Perry's shoes have been pulled from Dillard's and Walmart after people complained they represented something that represents racism. And now noted possessor of a Bachelor's of Mechanical Engineering, Bill Nye, lectures the world on what anti-choicers really believe. You have a lot of men of European descent passing these extraordinary laws based on ignorance. I'm, I, sorry, you guys. I know it was written, or your interpretation of a book written five century, 5,000 years ago, uh, 50 centuries ago, makes you think that when a man and a woman have sexual intercourse, they always have a baby. That's wrong. And so to pass laws based on that belief is inconsistent with nature. I mean, it's hard not to get frustrated with this, everybody. Uh, and I know it, nobody likes abortion, okay? But you can't tell somebody what to do. I mean, she has rights over this, especially if she doesn't like the guy that got her pregnant. And finally, what are they smoking in Italy? Si muove appunto girando su se stesso ed è molto curato nell'aspetto appunto della coloritura dell'armatura e molto spazio viene dato. Nice touch with the uh, Twitter sword there, and that's what happened while we were away. You guys know Robert Jeffers is pissed right now. He didn't think of that first. You guys yeah. know that, right? Yeah. You guys know right now they were in the middle of building that outside of First Baptist and then looked at each other and said, crap, scratch it. Somebody already did it. All right. <laughs> oh, where to begin with the roundtable today? Um, I'm struggling with the order of where to go because one of these topics doesn't merit and is far more serious than all the rest of the topics in here. And so I'm, I'm struggling with the, um, the segue. Um, so we're going to save that one for a minute. Let, let's go to the rally last night. And this is my struggle. There has been no effort to begin building a wall on the Rio Grande. What are you doing as you watch us right now? I mean, literally anything. Are you like on a elliptical treadmill? Are you sitting at home having breakfast? Homeschooling your kids? Are you at work in a cubicle? Whatever it is you're doing right now as you watch and listen to this show, you are doing more to build a wall to protect our southern border than the United States government currently is. So that's not true. When the crowd began chanting, build the wall, and he began saying, it's finish the wall, in order to finish something, um, like I've often debated with people, uh, Steve, how can you be so sure of when life begins? When does something begin, guys? When does, when does it begin? 
When can it only? When can anything only begin? At the beginning. At the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something can only begin at the beginning. Well, it depends on whether the girl likes uh, the. Uh, that's a different topic. Yeah, and I, I've never met any pro-lifer that believes every time a man and a woman have sex, they have a baby. I, I, I don't or conceive a kid. What is? What in the world is Bill Nye talking about? He's never heard of infertility or yeah, anything of that about, nature. Uh, talk about ignorance. Yeah. yeah, he doesn't even know his own science. I, I've never met anybody who believes this. Okay. Um, so I don't, he, that entire, that entire thread there from Bill Ma, Bill, Bill Mai, Bill Nye, Bill Mai, what an idiot, uh, from Bill Nye is just a, it's a fallacy. I want to talk about frustration, watching you lower my IQ in real time. I found to be exceedingly frustrating. I was going to interrupt and ask Aaron to end it because I just couldn't handle more than 10 seconds of that crap. Okay. Um, but life begins at the beginning. What would be the beginning point? What's, what's the beginning point biologically of what, what has to happen before life, what, before any other further step of life can occur? There must be a what? Beginning. A, a, yeah, it must yeah. be a beginning, which is a conception. If there's not a conception, is there any other beginning for life? No. No. So it's just simple logic. Something begins at the beginning. Same argument for Trump's wall. For the wall to be finished, it must be what? Started. Started. It it must be started. So. Ostensibly, the government was shut down because it wasn't started. Because it wasn't started. We just had a shutdown. We're facing a shutdown deadline on Friday because it hasn't been what? Started. Started. Um, You know, our friend Daniel Horowitz has been tweeting pictures of what the current uh, security structure is uh, along the state of New Mexico, for example, you know, and I mean, there are ranchers who have far more security than the United States border does. We, we, we you want to reset that the one who is dumbest last loses again. Should we just stop the show I, I, and watch want... tombstone? <laughs> yes. Yes. <sighs> I want to win this argument. Okay. You want to win? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to win this argument. I, I want him, and, and for me to win this argument, I, and I'm not the president, right? We live in a representative republic, correct? Okay. So I, I can't win this argument on my own. You have elected representatives that represent, they are like your proxies, and they represent your principles, stances, it's your policies on your behalf, all right? Right now, the only person with any power in the federal government whatsoever, like the Republican Party won't be hurt by this cave, I'm sorry, compromise, my bad, uh, this cave, this compromise uh, that they did with the Democrats last night. They're not going to be hurt at all. You know why they're not going to be hurt at all? Because you guys already know that they're open borders. You know this. You know, by and large, the Republican Party is an open borders party. You know this. That's why you turned to somebody like Donald Trump when he started to champion this issue, because you had watched for years, going back to McCain-Kennedy, the Republican Party has lied to you, tried to betray you, openly has betrayed you on this issue on numerous occasions. That's why, that's why when Trump wanted to run on China and trade policy, everybody yawned. It was still the same shtick. It was still the same one-liners but it didn't move the needle for him politically at all. People still thought it was funny and entertaining, but they didn't care. When he, when he glommed onto the immigration issue, this is when he went from a novelty to a force of nature in American politics. 
And when he started talking about things like birthright citizenship and border security and extreme vetting uh, and things of that nature, that that convinced enough of you that maybe he actually is invested in this issue on some way. So the Republican Party, McConnell and all those people won't be hurt in iota. Because here's the other thing, too. Well, Steve, they might lose. They don't care if they lose. They only care if they lose to you. They don't care if they lose to Democrats. They don't they don't care. And in many respects, they're better off if they do. Kevin McCarthy now gets to convince you all he doesn't have a 29% liberty score or whatever it is right now, a conservative review. He gets to run as right-wing as he wants to be because he can't do anything. He has no power while still raising money off of you as if he did. That's a better deal than when they're in control. That's not the same thing for Trump. And I'm well aware of the fact that there, he could take any position. He could switch to, to amnesty in five minutes. And there is a portion of my peer group that will tell us this is the best amnesty you've never seen. We all know these things too. But we also know that when you win an election for president by 78,000 total votes over three states, you don't have to experience a lot of slippage to slip. I want him, I need him, because I, I can't argue this issue on my own. I can't move policy. So my interests are aligned with his right now. I therefore need and would like him to win this argument. My concern is the way that it's being argued. And I might be wrong. I, I, I'm, and I might be wrong. Okay. I just told you yesterday, some analysis I was very confident in a few weeks ago. I mean, if we're going to openly run as the hammer and sickle party, I'm not as confident in that analysis as I was a few weeks ago. Right. I won't hold on to a position. My name, my name's Stephen, but it ain't Stephen A. Smith. I ain't going to hold on to a position that's been proven wrong just because. All right. So, I'm not abiding by that analysis anymore because I think it's irrelevant now. And what I'm saying now may be irrelevant. I'm open to that. I, but my fear is, there's someone who cares greatly about the immigration issue, who cares greatly about national sovereignty and border security, and has done lots of activism on this long before Donald Trump glommed onto the issue. My fear is the way that he is waging it, we're going to lose this issue. And here, here's why I have this fear, and then you guys are welcome to tell me I am wrong. And you are welcome to tell me, because but the Democrats could be right. It, they, and, and that's not necessarily good either. I mean, if Donald Trump can just take any position and screw us any which way, but the Democrats are so bad it doesn't matter, that's not necessarily a warm fuzzy either, okay? But, but this is why I'm concerned. A, we have a national address, the first one of his presidency, Oval Office address, that we have a national emergency at the border. Step one. Step two, we then shut the government down because Democrats won't fund what it takes to stop this national emergency at the border. Am I right so far? Yes. All right. This Well, actually, that was step one. Step one was we shut the government down because Democrats won't fund this. And this became, the as it was becoming the longest shutdown of all time, we then went to step two. So I had them wrong. Step two was the Oval Office address. It came after the shutdown began. Because the shutdown started before Christmas. The Oval Office address happened in January. That was step two, right? Okay. Step three is, without getting any concession from the Democratic Party whatsoever, the president caves on the shutdown, opens government back up, 
ostensibly so he can give a State of the Union speech, basically. That, that's all he got out of it was a delayed State of the Union speech. Is that still correct? Yep. All right. Okay. Step four now is no further concessions from Democrats. The deal that Aaron put up there, I don't know if you guys noticed, the, the number of detention beds <laughs> yeah. is decreasing by like, I think it's 18%. And, and guys, if, if detention beds are decreasing, guess what's also going to be decreasing? Detentions. Detentions. Yeah. Catch and release, that's the Obama policy, not going away in that deal. So Obama's catch and release remains. The amount of detention beds goes down by almost 20%. And $1.3 billion, which is a drop in the bucket by our budget standards. You, I, I cannot believe this deal couldn't have been achieved. If the president had offered before Christmas... Uh, we'll, we'll drop detention beds by 20%. Just give me a billion dollars to lie to my base that I got something. And we'll even keep Obama's catch and release open borders policy. I got to believe even the Democrats would have signed off on that. And if they wouldn't have done it in December, they absolutely would have done it a month ago to end the shutdown. They basically went on any level. They, 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 they gave a billion for nothing. That's a, that's nothing, nothing. And instead, we have less enforcement capability because we have less detention capability, and we're going to continue Obama's non-enforcement policy. Then, then tell me, what was the point of any of this then? Why, why did we do any of this? And I've told you all along, for him to win, I believe he's got to raise the stature and respect of his presidency. That's why I loved the State of the Union speech so much. I thought it went a long way towards establishing a foothold to do that. But then to follow it up with, oh, by the way, my one Oval Office address that I told you something had to be done. Nah, something doesn't really have to be done. And then I'll go down to El Paso and tell them, hey, we started building a wall that we didn't start building. And we're finishing a wall that we haven't even started. And lock her up as well. Yes, I, 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 I don't think this is how you win. I don't. And, you know, I know some of you just want to be told that whatever happens is okay because the Democrats are so bad. You just need to know if you're new to this thing, this is not how I'm wired. I am not wired for whatever the guy wearing my jersey says is great. And if we lose, it's because we got robbed by the refs. I ain't like that. I like, I like using the power to control your own destiny. You know, I was, I was meeting with an old friend of mine yesterday and I said, I'm unlike a lot of other men. A lot of men struggle with what they can't change. I don't. Once I've come to, once I come to grips with a situation I can't change, I'm actually pretty good at accepting it. What I struggle with is when I think something can be changed. We can argue this better. We can win this argument. We can bury them with this argument. I, my fear is this is not the way it will be done. And I think this has tentacles. I'll make this last point and then I'll hand it over to you guys to correct me if I'm wrong. I think it has far-reaching tentacles even beyond the immigration debate. You want to leverage China with your tariffs? Why would they give in? Do you think Xi fears or has any respect for Nancy Pelosi and all? Hell no. Thinks she's a clown show. She wouldn't survive the first, the first round of, shall we call them, tryouts if you know what I mean, inside the Chinese uh, uh, you know, political system. 
you're going to leverage the guy who controls the largest standing army on planet Earth by showing him how tough you are because of the way you caved to Pelosi? We're going to convince Iran to abide by the uh, to abide by nuclear uh, disarmament. Why would they do that? Then we've got this North Korea summit coming up here soon. If you're Kim Jong Un, what in the world are you thinking? You're thinking, man, this guy's tweeting hosannas about me, caving on his the issue that he he staked his entire presidency on what? Build the wall, and Mexico pays for it, and Mexico will pay for it. We've already, we've already changed these standards of half dozen times of what the original proclamation was, men. And so this, this is a stature issue. The, 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 the notion of his presidency is that he has the testicular fortitude to leverage people to make great deals for the American people they couldn't get before. If, if the people you need to leverage are watching you clown yourself and cave to the weakest people, that you need to leverage. Why would they give in whatsoever? And now you guys can tell me, Steve, it doesn't matter. The Democrats are so bad, he can do whatever he wants. And that may be the answer. And okay, I'm just telling you what my read on the situation is. Well, this is the, uh, I mean, this is the danger about getting your hopes up about anything. No, it's, this is, this is what, um, this is what analysis is like in, in the world of Trump. By the end of today, he will have sent out a tweet or said something to the media or done an address or done something, uh, made some sort of executive action that we're going to be, yes, good job. That's the Trump that we know and love. And then two hours later, he's going to be lock her up, lock her up. You know, it's just the danger, again, of trying to get your hopes up that Trump can can accomplish anything for any long period of time. That's just the vehicle that he is. He's a broken uh, man in, in many, many ways. That doesn't mean, though, that he is worthless. That doesn't mean, I mean, there doesn't uh, negate some of the good things that he's helped this country accomplish or that he is directly or indirectly made happen. But again, uh, what's that saying we have? Um, if at first you don't succeed, lower your standards. Yeah. Well, that doesn't really apply again to the wall because it's only effective if the whole thing gets built. And so the uh, going from building a wall and a big beautiful wall and Mexico will pay for it to finish the wall that hasn't even started yet. We're getting to a point, I think, very quickly where we need to decide if this is even worth our time and breath and energy. For, for for us to try to get Trump to follow through with this. Because towards the end of the day, as it looked like two weeks ago, at, at, when the government was reopened and Trump lost that fight, he might be doing more damage. We are always on a needle's or a razor's edge of him doing more damage to this cause um, than not, than actually doing something positive. Again, don't get invested um, at all emotionally in anything to Trump that Trump promises what you were saying about the Republican, what the Republican party needs to be yesterday, Steve, during truth bombs or during our book study needs to be the same for all of us. When we think about Donald Trump, it is just a transaction. If he doesn't make that transaction, he's failing. And if he does, he's successful. I think that's as simple as it need to be. There's a paradox 
in play here. Uh, the notion that um, we need to go with the fellowship we have because of everything that Steve said of how ridiculous the left has become is is dead on. But you, then you also have to get his continued inability to capitalize on that. It boomerangs back on yes. us. Yeah, because my fear is the fellowship, even if we go along, yes. we'll lose fighting like this. Yes, yes, yes. That's my that's my fear. Like the national emergency, I read today the White House may take the funding and then and why is there a national emergency if you're willing to take only 1.3? You see, we're undercutting every argument we've ever made here. What is he what is this? Is undercutting well, and, yes. and the reality is because he's the only person arguing this issue with a in an elected office on our behalf. We're we're all lumped in with whether we want to be or not. That's just the truth. Well, of the we got it. To Aaron's point, we got to decide whether we're going to do that, whether we want to be lumped in, whether it's worth it. If you're thinking of buying or selling a home this year, check out realestateagentsitrust.com. Our friend Glenn Beck and his friends started this company six years ago, tired of real estate agents who talked a good game, but then don't deliver in the end. And what sets this apart from other referrals, instead of trying to find customers for the agents, this is trying to find the right agent for you, the customer. This is where the agents volunteered to be vetted and scrutinized before they're a part of realestateagentsitrust.com. So get the right price at the right time for your home that's right for you, realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. More in a moment, including fake news or not. Stay tuned. Homeowners beware, a data breach just exposed 24 million of us to title fraud, a crime that could cost any one of us our home. If you've got a mortgage, a refi, or a HELOC through a major bank, this is a breach that may put you at risk of losing every dollar of equity in your home, maybe even your home itself. Because even though you have identity theft protection, the thieves now have some aspects of your identity that you may use to verify yourself uh, with a major bank or with your county recorder assessor. They go on the website, uh, forge your signature, use that identifying information to claim that they are you. And now they are refiling your home, taking out loans, uh, refi refinancing it, uh, HELOCs uh, for themselves, and then they stick you with the payments. Don't let that happen to you. Uh, for pennies, a day. You can protect the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have, their own home. And find out right now through Home Title Lock to see if you're already a victim or you've already been targeted. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Register for a free title scan and report. That's a $100 value, but it's free to those of you that are part of our family here at The Blaze today at HomeTitleLock.com. One more thing on, on the border thing. And then Aaron, I'm going to call an audible on the truth bomb because I, I think we absolutely need to address the situation in the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, and so we will do that for today's truth bomb later on this hour instead, okay? But um, already you're being spun. And you, you can decide for yourself whether you're okay with it. If you've made the decision Communist Party USA has to be stopped, no matter how much Trump has lied to me, I don't blame you. In some respects, I'm close to making that decision myself in a way because I kind of think he's irrelevant in this grand drama now. But on the immigration issue here, you need to be told what the 1.3 billion that they agreed to yesterday. You want to know where they got that number? 
You're being told that the Democrats didn't want any money for wall funding or border security. That's not necessarily true. Remember the whole debate in December about, is it a wall? Is it a barrier? Call it whatever you want. What kind of wall will it be? Do you remember that whole debate we had just a couple of months ago? You know why we had that debate? We had that debate because the Demo- the Trump wanted $5 billion explicitly, for, explicitly for a wall, and the Democrats offered, how much money do you think they offered? $1.3 billion for border security beefed up barrier they they didn't want to call it a wall and that's what the whole debate was about will it be a wall will it be a border you know enhancement uh will it be a barrier and trump said you can call it whatever you want just give me the money to do something well the amount of money the democrats were willing that off they offered trump before we had the shutdown in december do you know how much it was 1.3 billion how much did they agree to yesterday (laughs) i'm done 1.3 billion he didn't get anything This deal literally offered nothing. Nothing that wasn't on the table in December. Just different vocabulary. But everything else was on, all of this rest of this was on the table in December. So those of you who are saying, hey, I heard blankety blank on a big national show tell me, no names mentioned, maybe it's on from noon to three Eastern, that he couldn't have gotten this deal. Yeah, he could have. It's not true. Could have gotten this deal in December. If 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 he would have told the Democrats in December, just give me 1.3 billion. We'll call it border security, and we'll decrease by 20 percent the amount of detention beds, and we'll keep Obama's catch and release. He could have gotten this deal two months ago, more than two months ago. Avoided the shutdown, avoided the dips that go along with that, the unpopularity of it. All of that could have been avoided. So that's the truth, and we live in this era now where, you know, because the same time that he's at this rally giving you fake news about the wall. He's actually quoting Ralph Northam's position on abortion verbatim. He is quoting Northam. Trump is verbatim what he said on Virginia radio two weeks ago. And the same Washington post and other news media pointing out Trump's lying about building the wall. Then want to say he's lying about what Ralph Northam said when he's literally freaking quoting him verbatim. This is the world in which we live in where the lies and the obfuscations are coming so rapidly, I understand if you just say, you know what? Got to stop the communists. I understand that. It's kind of the paradox of what you were talking about. That's the macro argument. The micro argument is if we lose the immigration battle, your chances of stopping the communists beyond this election diminish tremendously because they're going to import hundreds of thousands, if not millions of new voters that are going to vote for them. And my concern on a micro level is we're losing this issue right now. I just wanted to address that. Let's get to this week's edition of Fake News or Not. A lot of some of the moderates in both parties have been saying we ought not be having this added debate in the middle of what was originally funding for a wall and whether it was necessary, how much it would be, how long it would be, etc. And that maybe this is your party emboldened to some of the far-left elements who've been saying at an extreme, just defund Homeland Security altogether. You didn't go that far, but well, how do you answer that? Well, they didn't, A, they didn't go that far. They, uh, some suggested 
uh, eliminating ICE as an organization. Right. I was not for that. Uh, the speaker was not for that. Clearly, uh, we're going to have uh, immigrants. We're going to have customs. Uh, we need uh, uh, enforcement. So you think ICE has some value? Of course it does. It's like the IRS. It's an absolutely essential agency, as IRS is an essential agency. So when agency. Congressman Cortez and others but, say that it isn't doing that and it should be shut down, you say that goes too far. Yeah, I, I think that goes okay. too far. What you're hearing here now, remember go back a month ago when I told you when Whoopi Goldberg took her on, this had nothing to do with what many of the uh, clickbaity headlines were about. This was girlfriend you are telling too much truth. You're being too honest out there. You are trying to sell the Swedish jalopy up front idealistically. We need to still sell the uh, intersectionality race baiting undercoating to the American people instead. And now with Nancy Pelosi's dismissiveness of the, what did she say? Uh, the, the green dream. Uh, and, and these comments by House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer. I don't know how you guys read it, but uh, this is where the parents are now attempting to rein in the children. Uh, and and it'll be fascinating to see if the children over there on the left will take it. Well, speaking of paradoxes, uh, yes, their parents are trying to do it, but they're deadbeat parents. Uh, this is both true and fake at the same time. I mean, it is true to the extent that you laid out that they're trying to slow this down, but they're not trying to slow it down because they're good parents and they understand what kids really need and what they're, you know, what the neighborhood really needs. No, it's because the pa- they kids just are telling think, too much of the truth. Yeah, all of a sudden, DHS knocked on their door and said, you know, we're really close to taking the kids. And so now they're doing the homina, homina, homina. <laughs> that's so right. that's, it means, Steny Hoyer is a guy, he he really believes this. Is, I mean, I don't, how old is Steny? He's a guy. I'm old, old enough to remember when Steny yeah. Hoyer was one of the blue dog Democrats. Remember yeah. those? Well, that's why he, he. He believes that ICE has a place, just like Joe Biden, ICE has a place. But, you know, it's like those people who say uh, they believe in uh, Jesus, but they're basically Ricky Bobby uh, from that movie. And I I like baby (laughs) Jesus. Baby Jesus is my favorite. And it's never grown beyond that for their entire lives. Yes. There's got to be some fruits on that tree. Amen. Amen. I mean, it's... It's total... It's it's total fake news. I'm just... I'm going to put it there. Okay. uh, That uh, these people actually need to appease the same people uh they just have again as you pointed out uh you know their their base is the same ocasio cortez's and steady warrior's base is the same their constituency might not be the same but their base is the same so they both need to please the same people it's just uh in uh, the the former's case steady warrior's case um i think I think they, I think they are recognizing again what you've uh, pointed out, and so again, it's fake news. They're, this has no shot at actually being uh, being real. All right, see if you think this clip is fake news or not. The Washington Post finding that she had listed her race ethnicity as Native American when she was registering for the Texas bar back in the eighties. Is that a problem for you? Do you think this should be a problem for voters? You know, uh, I am. I am an enrolled member of a tribe in New Mexico. Uh, Senator Warren is very cognizant of the fact that uh, tribes uh, determine tribal membership. She wasn't trying to be uh, an enrolled member of a tribe. Um, Also, it's not, I mean, I would never uh, tell anyone how they should identify themselves. That That is what, you know, someone decides on their own. 
what I know about Senator Warren is that she has fought for working families for a heck of a long time. Uh, she has returned billions to Americans who have been ripped off by, by big banks. And, and I'd like to see her, and she will continue to, to work hard for working families and make sure that people have a fair deal. So that's a Native American uh, member of Congress from New Mexico saying she would never tell anybody how they can identify. Well, you know, why can't I go into my local Native American casino, identify as I'm the Native American uh, tribal chieftain who now is running said casino. Give me your license. I mean, what, what are the boundaries of when of what we can and cannot identify? And for her to say she never really tried to register as a member of a tribe. I'm not sure that's correct. I mean, she listed, I mean, she tried to use a Native American tribal affiliation uh, on an official uh, bar association or a law school. I can't remember which one it was. Bar isn't that entry form, correct? Isn't, isn't that cultural approbation? Isn't that what we've been told? I, I it, it, Yeah. Well, that's what we're told when white people who vote Republican do it. That's what we're I told. Didn't read the so, so, so what are the limits to what I can identify and what I can't? Fake news or not there? What do you think, Aaron? Uh, it is definitely not fake news. Uh, why uh, Why do the pale face think that they just have uh, get to make all the rules about who can and cannot identify? I'm glad that um, that, that uh, representative from New Mexico actually stepped up and pl- put, to place, uh, put in place some actual guidelines. Um, we know we had our scarlet letters removed. Um, open the floodgates. We can all now identify as Native American, and all because of that uh, representatives from New Mexico. So let's not just be so arrogant to think that we know all the time what's offensive and what's not, um, because after all, uh, they might change tomorrow, or they may not, and we really haven't asked the affected uh, uh, group of people, the affected class of people, so it's totally not fake news. Why can't I just identify as Elizabeth Warren? If we can all just, we wouldn't tell anybody how they can identify. Why why can't I just identify as Elizabeth Warren? Why can't I just do that? Why can't I just identify as Warren Buffett? Why can't I do that? Thank you. Next clip. Yes. That was the correct answer. The Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and how he's responding to this criticism of the White House on this this morning. He says, quote, America is not coming, covering up for a murder. He said this. At, uh, he's in Budapest, Hungary right now. And he said the president made very clear he couldn't have been more clear. As we get additional information, we will hold all of those responsible accountable. That's what Pompeo was saying. You have uh, the Saudi minister of state foreign affairs over the weekend who called it a mistake. And I quote, he said, mistakes happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it seems, uh, do you read that as the Saudis thinking that the administration isn't going to hold them to account here? I think that's exactly how the Saudis are looking at this. They know they, that they, they have some, they have leverage over Trump. It's hard to understand what that is, but they, I think it's about Iran uh, and they're going to use it. I think they absolutely are seeing signs from the Trump administration that they're going to continue to get away with this. I think what both sides are doing, Saudi and the administration, are just playing for time. They're hoping we're not going to pay attention to this anymore. They're hoping Congress is going to yep. get wrapped up in other issues and we're just going to drive past it. And it's really important that we don't. Is this still Khashoggi? Yeah. Yes. Come on. Here's what I'm interested in. This is a retired admiral of the a rear admiral from the United States military claiming a foreign government has leverage on the president of the United States. Don't you therefore have a responsibility to bring forth what that would be? I mean, don't this was should, on CNN, right? Should, should, <laughs> 
Okay, next clip. Yeah, I think that, yeah, there you go. You tried. Oh. So this is a Joy Villa showing up at the Grammys in uh, all of her Trumpian glory. So here's why I wanted to show this. Okay. <laughs> I ain't seen this. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, build the wall is written on the back of her dress. The, the dress is, is, sh- is a wall, uh, you know, with brick outli- you know, outlines and things of that nature. I want to I say something about Joy Villa. Okay, because I've had an interaction, a few interactions with her. Really? Yeah, I have. You never told us this. Um, I haven't. Why are you hiding the good stuff, okay. man? I want you guys to know something that um, I don't like she, where this is going. She's the real deal, man. Really? I, I'm not kidding you. Yeah. Wow. She is the real deal. Let me let me tell you about the interactions I've had with her. So it was about a it was about a year ago that a uh, pro life film producer came to me. And he was working on a project to try and get the Republican Congress to take up federal heartbeat legislation. And um, he had taken this idea to National Right to Life, and they wouldn't support it. And uh, he went and, and he the answer he got about why they wouldn't support it was essentially that, well, the Republicans won't bring it up for a vote. And so he was like, well, why won't you guys push them to bring it up for a vote? Never really got a good answer. Uh, Met with Paul Ryan uh, and the speaker's staff on Capitol Hill. And the speaker's staff told him that uh, the Republicans will only bring up pro-life legislation if all of the pro-life organizations, the major pro-life organizations agree on it. So we're getting a runaround here. And it's pretty obvious that the reason that National Right to Life doesn't want to push to bring the bill up is they're really Republican right to life. And there are plenty of people in the Republican congressional delegation that aren't really pro-life and don't want to have to vote to defend life in a meaningful, substantive way. Aside from, you know, a standalone defund Planned Parenthood bill they know will not go and they can, you know, get their pro-life we below badge from the National Right to Life Committee and lie to us more, basically. And, uh, he came to me um, because of my connections in the movement and and some of his relationships with people that uh, he wanted to put together a video, and he already had the Benham brothers on board. And he wanted to put together a video to uh, that he would hope would go viral that would pressure National Right to Life to get on board with federal heartbeat legislation. And we we compared notes with several you know pro life folks, some well known pro life folks, by the way. Some, um, uh, some of them are names that you would know if you're watching or listening to us right now. And most of them would not agree to do it. And they, you can make up your own mind why they wouldn't agree to do it. My guess is National Right to Life, outside of its political activism, has a, you know, can, has a huge say in who speaks at the March for Life and a lot of other big pro-life events around the country. It's probably hard to get booked on the pro-life speaking tour nationally if you run afoul of National Right to Life. I'm living a breathing example of that. All of my pro-life uh, speaking engagements have all been independently people have come to me. I mean, I'll never be on any kind of pro-life speaking tour because I'm going to tell you the truth about how they're screwing you and betraying those babies. Because that's more important to me than a speaking gig. Um, do you know who stepped up and leveraged her platform to be in this video and share it? Joy. Joy did. Joy did. Um, I mean, 
I was on emails that she was copying executives at Fox because she was frequently a guest on Fox News. I mean, she went, pardon the expression, she went to the wall for this. And I just, I wanted to play that clip because I know we're in this era where people are kind of doing outrageous things to kind of glom onto Trump's base. You're not sure, are they legit? Are they for real or not? She's legit, man. I, I saw it with my own eyes. I mean, she she went to the mat for this video when some other people that have been far more integrity and honesty, honest filled about the Trump era didn't have the balls to stand up to Nash right to life. Joy Villa did. And I wanted to make a note of that. Okay. I just love when she does this at the very least, she, she clearly seems to be telling a constituency. You don't own me. Yes. Yeah. I get to do what I, I, I want. I do what I want. Yep. Hey, when was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned? Have you ever? It is the time of year, allergies, itching ear, that plugged up feeling. You may require a professional cleaning. How about getting one in the comfort and convenience of your own home without a prescription? Now you can via our friends at WaxRx. Go to usewaxrx.com. Take advantage of their exclusive pH-conditioned formula right now. And again, without a prescription, okay? Usewaxrx.com. That is the website. And if you use, offer code radio at checkout you'll get free shipping again that is usewaxrx.com soothe the ear remove earwax buildup at usewaxrx.com great for the kids too usewaxrx.com offer code radio for free shipping at checkout when we come back we'll take a look at the books and writings that threatened western civilization in the past and maybe threaten our future we'll have our truth bomb and this week's pop culture tuesday and more next stay tuned Coming up here an hour or two, live and on demand on The Blaze. This is the Steve Day Show. We're going to get into uh, the expose from the Houston Chronicle over the weekend as a sex abuse scandal has now rocked the Southern Baptist Convention as it's previously rocked the Catholic Church. We'll get into that. Also, uh, a movie you need to know about and why it's R rating is very good news. I'm going to talk about that in Pop Culture Tuesday coming up a little bit later on in just a few minutes. Also, we're going to look back into history at some of the books that challenged Christian orthodoxy and vis-a-vis some of the presuppositions and premises of Western civilization and how some of those debates from yesteryear uh, can give us a glimpse into the future because these are some of the very writings that have inspired uh, leftists in our day and age to challenge some of the premises of uh, right and wrong that we're debating now. But before we get into that, Aaron must first humble brag. Uh, how are you doing on your New Year's resolutions? I'll give you an update on mine. As uh, you know, I resolved to not micro- uh, mark or knock over microphones if I can speak straight. Yeah, that was that, that was on me. Yeah, uh, uh, no, my my New Year's resolution was to stay awake during movies, and uh, so far during the last week, I've fallen asleep during two movies. But here's one resolution you can still make and keep, so long as you stay awake, and that is to take your firearm training to the next level with iTarget Pro. Utilizing your smartphone, their proprietary app tracks a caliber-specific laser, which fits inside your firearm and will detect exactly where your shots are landing. iTarget Pro is completely safe, comes with your caliber-specific laser target system and instructions, so you can begin training immediately. 
So you can take that uh, Christmas cash if you've got any leftover. I doubt you do. Or maybe your tax refund if you've got one this year. And go to the letter itargetpro.com. Check out the video. Choose your caliber. And download the app so you're ready when the system arrives. This month, get 10% off plus free shipping with the offer code STEVE when you purchase the iTargetPro system. Save money. Save time and take your skill to the next level safely and effectively. That's the letter itargetpro.com. Offer code Steve, itargetpro.com. Let's welcome Daniel Crane to the program. And I just learned a few minutes ago, he's a University of Michigan grad. I did not know that when we booked this interview. Had I known, though, this interview would have taken place a lot sooner, Daniel. Good to have you on the show here today. Welcome to The Blaze. How are you? Great. Thanks, Steve. Great to be on. I'm actually at the University of Michigan right now where I'm a law professor. So I'm sitting in the, the alma mater right now as we speak. Nice. Uh, well, say hi to John Beeline for me, if you don't mind. Uh, although I know he's in State College for the game tonight, right? Right. All right. So you've written a new book I want our audience to get introduced to. Because the the history that you go over here in your book, pardon the pun, is the genesis for many of the debates we are having in the West Right now, I mean, these are really the writings that inspired many of these debates. Uh, the name of the book, Seven Books That Rocked the Church. Why did you, let's start with the title. Why did you choose these seven, Daniel? So, uh, Steve, I was writing a book that was reacting to my own experience working in a very secular and liberal university setting, the mm-hmm. University of Michigan where oftentimes it seems that Christian beliefs are not taken very seriously or respectfully. But one of the things that also it seems to me is true is that the church over the course of its history has often not done a very good job of of entertaining uh, or reacting to ideas that challenge Christian beliefs. And so if we want to be heard today in the world, we also need to be willing to listen. And so my book is really a case study of seven particular books from the second century to the 20th century that challenge Christian belief. And oftentimes the church did not react very well. Uh, It reacted through censorship or through personal attacks on the author rather than through substantive engagement with the ideas. And so my book is really a call based on these seven case studies to prepare ourselves to engage more constructively with books that challenge Christian beliefs in the future. Do you have a theory, Daniel, as to why that has been the case? Because, you know, you, you go back to the second century, but if you just go a century prior... I mean, if, if, and if you look at the history of Christianity, I mean, this, this, is a, this is a faith that has had to go to places like Ephesus and, and, and take on uh, such an embedded religious, pagan religious belief. It was the basis for the local economy, that, that it was willing to enter into the arena of ideas and even at its own existential uh, fate, uh, where its its expositors, its apostles, its disciples, its evangelists were were often terrorized, murdered in the most vile ways in order to risk going into the arena. I, the arena, literally, the the monk who left the stands during during the you know during the gladiator games in Rome, and they killed him on the spot. But his death is what ultimately ended up inspiring the Roman people to say, maybe we should stop doing this thing. It's kind of gotten too bloody, and let's do something a little bit nicer now. I mean, the history of this faith has been, it's only been spread by going into the arena. So what, what has been the common refrain when it, when it does face external threats, it has engaged often in some of the very tactics that now leftists are using against the faith in places like where you serve on a college campus. What, what happened here? 
Right. So I, I think there are so many good examples in the Bible, actually, of, of engagement with, with culture. So Paul in the Areopagus in Athens, for example, where he uh, goes before the cream of the crop of, of Greek, um, um, the Greek elite at that time. And not only does he present the gospel effectively, but he does so in the context of having studied their philosophy and their, their writers and quoting them back to them. Mm-hmm. And having studied, you know, the idols in the city and talking about the idol to the unknown God, uh, so there are many uh, constructive examples. But I think when the church has gone wrong, it's largely been out of fear. The church has, has I think, instead of having the confidence uh, that the, the Christian message and the Bible are true, uh, we've reacted out of fear that some idea that comes along will actually shake the foundations of the church. And although my title is "The Books That Rock the Church," a point I want to make is that although uh, it may seem that these books upset or rock the church. Of course, no idea that comes along can sh- can shake the one foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so we have a great deal of confidence uh, in whether it's confronting Marxism or Darwinism or uh, or Enlightenment rationalism or anything else. Um, we should not be afraid. We should not feel the need to shut down or censor. Uh, we should engage constructively, uh, learn from from these ideas what we can positively. There, there are times that th- there are ideas that are, that are actually right that we may feel threatened by initially, but they're actually right or constructive. And even when ideas are are wrong, uh, that doesn't mean we can't learn from them or or engage with them respectfully and constructively. So here's why I wanted us to have this conversation. Several years ago, as I was just getting into national syndication, uh, I was sitting down with a a guy who was an outgoing retiring uh, leader at a major Christian conservative advocacy organization. And... um, we were sitting down just chatting at the end of uh, National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville several years ago. And he said to me, Steve, the hardest thing I'm having a difficult time adjusting to is Christ's command to love my enemies, to love my neighbor as I love myself. And yet I am watching this culture that my worldview is large, largely inspired, um, literally just being taken away from me. Uh, I'm watching it being hijacked out from underneath me. And there's this tension of how do I oppose the people I'm called to love at the exact same time? Maybe I'm not. I'm really struggling with this. And I really see it in my grandchildren. He was telling me this tension, uh, you know, at, at family gatherings. And I want us to, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. And while this may be the first time a culture, and we can debate to what extent Americanism was inspired by biblical teaching, it's not debatable that to some extent it was. I mean, after all, the pilgrims come and land on Plymouth Rock, and one of the first words they write are, you know, uh, they're here to advance the kingdom of Christ, okay? So to some extent, there is no doubt that it was, all right? And and we're going to be the first people in the history of Christendom to have to live through uh, the decline of a civilization that their faith inspired, largely by the abandonment of that faith. And and I think we've got to learn from our history when we've been marginalized culturally, when we've been threatened by pagan. That's really what we're talking about in many cases. When we've been threatened by pagan ideas or uh, truth discoveries like Galileo that we didn't want to accept because they uh, uh, they we thought they threatened our hegemony at the time. I think we can learn from these moments in tradition and history in the past. So is that why you set out to write this book, Daniel, to learn from those mistakes? 
Absolutely, Steve. I, what I wanted to do is say we have a long history as the church in dealing with ideas that, that seem to threaten Christian ideas. Sometimes, as in the Galileo example you mentioned, it, it actually didn't threaten Christian beliefs at all. Um, in the case of Darwinism, for example, there's still obviously a very active debate within the church about to what extent uh, Darwin, Darwin, Darwinian theory as a scientific theory is, is incompatible with Christian belief. But in all of these episodes, there are things we can learn about ongoing debates that we confront today. And really my call is to engage these uh, these ideas not from a perspective of, of just denial or fear or, or just trying to protect ourselves against the enemy, but coming in with an open mind, with an open heart, and asking, okay, you've said something that's, that's inconsistent with what I believe. Let me listen to you. Let me hear what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you questions. But, I, but if I'm going to do that to you, I want you to do that to me as well. Uh, I want I want to have this be a two-way street. And I think what we're seeing, as you describe, in a culture that's slipping away from being one which was sort of majority Christian, or at least uh, in, in which Christian values and ideas were accepted as sort of mainstream and at least part of the conversation, to one where we're seeing across-the-board hostility, particularly in, in the kind of environment that I work in, to Christian beliefs, it's becoming harder for us even to get a hearing. And so I think that if we're going to... Um, Take the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. You know, they went into a pagan, secular environment that was that was hostile to to to, to their to their Jewish faith. Obviously, mm-hmm. just conquered them. And and what they what they set around to do was to study the wisdom literature of the Babylonians. And what the book of Daniel reports is that at the end of their study period, they were they were head and shoulders better than anyone else uh, at, at that literature. That literature was uh, was was pagan. It was it was astrology and body stories and divination and, uh, and and all kinds of of, of, of wisdom literature that was that was antithetical to to the, to the biblical belief and yet they engaged it and they learned it and because of that they were able to play this role that God assigned them to in that very secular environment that's my call we can't we can't shut our, our, our eyes to our ears to ideas simply because they seem to confront Christian beliefs in other words there's a difference between conversion and persuasion and dueling, dueling battles of hegemony. Those are, and one, and if your if your end game is the latter, you will engage in the sorts of tactics leftists are now engaging in against us because that is their end game. I mean, this this earth is the end game to them. Um, if the other is, if you, if you recognize your kingdom is not of this world, and you seek persuasion and conversion, you will you will welcome the debate. Yeah, I, I can't. I'll never forget. I went in and did an interview at MSNBC. Uh, right towards the end of the 2012 election cycle after having done dozens of appearances on there as a token conservative. And one of the things that one of their managing editors said to me is I was the first Christian that she had ever met that she could reasonably consider someone intelligent might believe some of these things. And I didn't take that as a statement of my intellectual prowess. I took it as a statement of how little she has truly been exposed to something that understands the tension and possible reconciliation of faith and reason. This is more about, I thought it was more about the bubble she lives in there at 30 Rock than it was about, you know, I'm some kind of modern day Augustine. I would imagine you have run into this on a campus setting multiple times that many times they're shocked if you can actually understand their language or the, the, the premises that they're coming from. So why did you pick the seven books that you picked? What is it? What are those books? And, and and what did they have in common that you thought they needed to be set apart? 
So I really wanted to take a look at seven books that span the sort of the history of the church from from early times until the 20th century that were representative of different moments in time. So I looked at uh, a, a Gnostic gospel called the Gospel of Truth that was uh, was disseminated in the second century A.D. and looked at uh, Galileo uh, in his uh, his work that obviously grew, drew the condemnation from the Catholic Church. I looked at Voltaire as an example of Enlightenment rationalism at a time when uh, the French Revolution, of course, lionized Voltaire as sort of a champion of, of freedom and free mm-hmm. expression. And they turned around, of course, and, and, and persecuted the church and, and, and destroyed Christian books. I looked at Charles Darwin because, of course, that's a story you can't, you can't miss telling in terms of the tension between the church and, and books that rock Christian beliefs. Um, I took a look at, um, at Karl Marx, uh, at Sigmund Freud. And then in the 20th century, I took a look at Joseph Campbell, who's, who's an author that many people may not know about by name, uh, but he was a comparative mythologist whose book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, undermines the um, the Star Wars mythology and really lots of Hollywood and, and sort of popular culture has drawn sort of its ideas about religion and religious expression from the, the mythological system that, that Campbell uh, set up in, in, in his book. So I really wanted to take a look at this problem of confronting books that, uh, that, that are inconsistent with Christian beliefs, uh, it's not just in the 20th century, it's not just in the second century, it's been a problem across 2,000 years, and it will continue to be a problem that we face uh, until Christ returns. And and those seven books, by the way, folks, are really the liturgy. They're the Pentateuch, if you will, of modern American progressivism. I mean, they, they are the foundation of, of where the worldview that we are up, the spirit of the age we're up against in this age, where they come from. Before we let you go, Daniel, what advice as someone who is there on a college campus, and and you did you you went to Wheaton first, all right? So you got you got you know you got girded up before we sent you into the Lions Den at the University of Michigan, where Clarence Darrow's from, and Catherine McKinnon was one of your fellow law professors there, and some these are some pretty famous liberals, and in McKinnon's face case, just like a communist basically. But I mean, you went you got prepared. You know, you didn't just start there. You went to Wheaton, got girded up, and then you go to then you go into the Lions Den there in Ann Arbor. What, what advice would you give to our audience about the age in which we live and and what your life experience could tell us about how we can be better effective witnesses for it? So, Steve, I think the example that you gave before is exactly the place to start, which is we actually have to be smarter and better informed about the secular philosophy than the secularists are themselves. Because the the, the opening assumption in, in many of these sort of the academic environments that I operate in is that is that evangelical Christians or, or conservative Christians are basically dumb uh, and ill-informed. And if they simply could be brought out of their ignorance, they could, you know, they could you know, be fruitful members of society again. If we're going to have conversations with people whose, whose opening premise is that, we actually need to be um, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, deeply versed in the things that they believe in their literature, in their assumptions, and have and have answers and have thought through those things so that when they we're, we're called on to give account, uh, we, like Paul and the Areopagus, can say, here's what your own authorities say. Here's what Mark says. Here's what um, Freud said. And, and now let me tell you what the gospel says, right? Um, so I, I don't think we can simply uh, be uh, be isolated or cloistered in, in our own sort of little subculture. We have to actively engage the world of ideas, uh, even though there may be lots of things there that we won't agree with. Name of the book, Seven Books That Rock the Church. What's the best way our audience can get a copy of it, Daniel? 
So it's available for sale on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, target.com. So any major online retailer, it's available for sale. Or uh, Hendrickson Press, my publisher, will also have more information on their site. Seven books that rock the church. Daniel Crane, good to join us. Thanks for joining us, brother. Good to see you. And go blue, man. We'll do it again, okay? Thank you. All right, take care. That is a good segue to what we're going to talk about next. That's uh, today's Truth Bomb uh, presented by my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, which is uh, also available at many of the places that Daniel mentioned his book is available to. And um, I I said an hour ago, we're going to call a bit of an audible on what today's Truth Bomb is going to be because we ran out of time in the opening segment of the montage to respond to the expose on the Southern Baptist Convention that highlighted Aaron's montage today. And this is a uh, report that uh, was put together by the Houston Chronicle, similar to, uh, but I don't think as tightly done uh, as the original uh, expose from the, the Boston Globe. What would that have been now? 15 some odd years ago um, about the archdiocese there that kind of blew the lid off of um, the, the, the Catholic uh, uh, priest abuse scandal. Now, to be as fair to the Houston Chronicle as I can, one of the reasons could be um, the ecclesiology of Southern Baptists, meaning uh, these are largely independent. They're part of a convention. And it's called a convention more than, say, a denomination because of the way that the, the churches govern themselves. A lot of them are locally controlled by um, the, uh, the congregation or the pastorate. Um, and so um, you're dealing with lots of different pockets of authority here as opposed to one um, leadership structure. Uh, like you would even have in, in in not even a Catholic church as a whole, but one particular archdiocese that all of the parishes are reporting to. The, the ecclesiology of the Southern Baptist Convention, those churches are much more independent of one another than that. So it's a little bit more difficult to follow the breadcrumbs when the tentacles go everywhere. There's two reactions I had to the story. And the first one is more trivial, so I want to get that out of the way now. I thought the story was an attempt to do more than just expose uh, horrendous sins and crimes. I thought the the story was also an attempt, uh, and I'll give you an example. Uh, I have no idea whether Paul Pressler is innocent or guilty. I will tell you in the movement I've been a part of, I don't know any man in our movement more respected by everybody I respect than he is. I happened to be at a Council for National Policy meeting where he was essentially retiring from public life. And name every every major name in, in you know Christian conservatism that you've ever known, good and bad, was there to honor him. Now, this is where the Catholics like Cardinal McCarrick much. I, I get that, okay? I'm total depravity. I'm just going to say, though, somebody – see, the thing with Mr. Pressler is he was an instrumental figure in why the Southern Baptist Convention is the only American denomination that ever went liberal and came back because he was part of the moment where they – in the 70s where they – you know, him, Adrian Rogers and others, they did the purge. I mean they went, they went congregation by congregation, city by city, and they purged the progressives out of the denomination's leadership. You know, can you imagine doing something like that in this day and age with social media? So similar to when you've heard me say in the past with with when this pope started being interpreted as leaning progressive. And you'll remember, I said at that time, be very careful, my fellow Protestants, assuming that bias, because there's a lot of defrocked Catholics in the media. 
And Todd, you've heard me say this in the past, yeah. that they're going to project what they want a pope to say. Which is why I waited a long, long time before I said, yeah, I think this Pope's a progressive. Before he stopped using the code language and just actually said, hey, I'm pretty much a progressive. There is a great desire, I am sure, from the folks in the media to take down the Southern Baptist Convention because it has been um, one of the most culturally influenced enclaves of conservatism in America. And if you look at the way they handled the Pressler case and the story the Houston Chronicle did with some of the other things, they were kind of, I read to me, and, I'm, and you and I are both news, former newspaper people, they were looking for an excuse to insert him into the story. Almost as if to say, oh, and that guy too. Oh, and that one too. Because the stuff that they document much more specifically and clearly in the story is incredibly damaging enough. So that's one caveat I would throw in there. The other thing I would say is this. This shows you that, well, you know, if you guys didn't have a pope and you actually followed the Bible, this stuff wouldn't happen to you. Okay. This, there isn't an ecclesiology that, that there isn't an ecclesiology that makes, that makes you immune to this. There really isn't even a particular, there isn't really even a particular theology that does. What would make, what inoculate, nothing makes us immune to this. We're sinners. What inoculates us from potentially succumbing to this is a recognition of where the real authority lies. Who we're accountable to hell is hot and forever. And if you're looking for something common and consistent in the stories told about the SBC and what we've already learned now with the second abuse scandal uh, with the Catholic church, that's your commonality is the question was asked, Choose this, choose ye this day whom you will serve. And it was either ignored or the wrong answer was given. And this is where these legions of victims come from. And what I would urge the Southern Baptist Convention to do, Aaron, you had some uh, tweets there from J.D. Greer, who's been on this show. Yep. And is the new head of the Southern Baptist Convention. Here's what I would urge, man sackcloth yep ashes a national redemption i'm sorry uh a, a national repentance ceremony on your knees begging forgiveness from your maker and your judge begging forgiveness from the mission field he planted you in right here in this country This is your mission field, and you owe the people of this country a deep debt for failing them. And before anything else is discussed, before anything else is desired, before anything else, start there. This goes back to what we talked about last week. Show some humility. 
And with all due respect to JD, about 25% of Americans have a Twitter account and the vast majority of them that do don't use it actively. So while I like what he tweeted, that's a tree falling in the forest, man. On, on our knees is where this needs to start. What You want to be the people of Sola Scriptura? That's, that's where it starts. There's no redemption without repentance. So, on our knees. That, that's, to me, I don't, I, don't think it, I don't think anything else is required to be discussed until it starts right there. Because while you were debating, while the older generation was debating, how much cultural hegemony can we acquire via the Republican Party? And this new generation of J.D. Greer types and Russell Moore types were debating how much sympathy and can we show that we really are down for social justice too and we're not a bunch of right-wing reactionaries. While you guys were all debating that, count the victims in that story. While you were debating which of these earthly kingdoms to serve, to genuflect to, count the victims in that story. Because whether or not you were touchy-feely or whether or not you were bony finger-pointy, they all suffered just the same. Just the same. So you want some healing? You want some redemption? Start with some good old-fashioned repentance on your knees and let the people see it. That's my initial two cents. Gentlemen, do you want to chime in here? Uh, I won't say much uh, as the Catholic other than Jesus wept. Uh, that there's the, the fact that this is not a particularly Catholic thing it, it isn't surprising to anybody, but um, my goodness, um, there there are no lessons learned. Penn State happens. Michigan State keeps happening. The Catholic yeah. Church does this, does not take care of itself. I agree with Stephen, his call for what happened, because it's exactly what the Catholic Church never did. You know, you should have had, after the first priest abuse scandal, you should have had uh, people basically, you know that scene of uh, Elizabeth Warren grabbing that little kid on the dais? That's how it should have looked after the first Catholic priest scandal, saying, ah, Cardinal McCarrick, over here, enough, but that didn't happen happen please listen to steve's words do better i'll just add very briefly that the fact that we have to give advice and this is not condescending advice at all um but advice to get on your knees guys have you looked around you recently that should be our posture at every waking moment we can spare these days Mm. 800-699-6140 for Optima Tax Relief. 800-699-6140. If you have run afoul of the IRS, do not not fight them alone. Let Optima Tax Relief, who has literally saved billions with a B, billions for their customers over the years, let them fight for you. They know what they're doing. They have a proven track record, and they know you need help, and they know that you deserve an advocate. That's why. Call them right now while you still have options and you can. Optima Tax Relief, 800-699-6140 is the number. Optima Tax Relief, don't let the IRS ruin 2019 like they did 2018. 800-699-6140. Back in a moment.
Hey, our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition have come up with a great way for you to trick. Uh, maybe that's a bad word. How about uh, uh, weirdly or un- in an unorthodox way, convince your kids uh, to uh, to have their vegetables? Uh, you've got to check out Field of Greens. Um, you know, laziness. Uh, no more excuses now. Right, one scoop of Field of Greens right there. That is a serving of the the vitamins, minerals, the vegetables that most Americans are not getting whatsoever in their diet. It's also delicious. We drink this at our house. Uh, my son Noah, if you tell him it's not mac and cheese, pizza, um, or you know, mac, he's like Elf. Candy canes, candy corns. Uh, he yeah, pizza, cereal, um, uh, ice cream, and mac and cheese. Uh, those are his four food groups right now. All right, and I'm I'm trying to break him of this so that he doesn't uh, ever become 400 pounds like his old man once was. Uh, and one of the ways I've convinced him to consume his vegetables is via Field of Greens. Our friends, uh, it's a real superfood. When you turn over the label, it doesn't say supplement facts. It says nutrition facts. I would recommend it. We use this in our house as well. You can visit BrickHouseSteve.com. Try Field of Greens for yourself. And if you use promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com, if you use promo code Steve while you're there, you can get 15% off of your first order. BrickHouseSteve.com. Get the immunity boost, the antioxidant power, the pre and probiotic that you need. Field of Greens via BrickHouseSteve.com. Promo code Steve for 15% off of your first order. All right, let's get to this week's edition of Pop Culture Tuesday. This is when we look at the intersection between popular culture and conservatism. And this week, we're going to be talking about this upcoming movie. Abby Johnson is in the other room. Here. Our first order of business is to present Planned Parenthood's Employee of the Year Award. Abby Johnson. This is Abby. She's our newest volunteer escort. Abby, this is Cheryl Alessandro. I'd be the youngest director in Planned Parenthood history. You'll actually be in charge of the abortions at your clinic? I have a chance to make a real difference. No matter what you do for the rest of your life, you're still going to be a baby killer. The only thing that's changed is you, Abby. Can you even hear yourself talk right now about these procedures? These are little babies. I'm not going to apologize for doing a job that helps women in crisis. There's still a part of me that isn't sure. I know. But the one thing that all experts agree on is that at this stage, the fetus can't feel anything. Sorry to bother you, but they need an extra person in the back room. Are you free? And it was like it was twisting and fighting for its life. We commend the souls of these hundreds of children. And Lord, we pray to end abortion. I really appreciate what you've done for us. I'll not forget it. 22,000 abortions. How do I even comprehend that? Rough day at the office. To your dad and me, you are our baby from the moment of conception. We are paying you to be a perfect instrument of corporate policy. We are an abortion provider. 
can't be a part of this anymore. Everything that they told us is a lie. Don't underestimate the repercussions of this. You gotta be careful. Rhonda, please don't do this! Rhonda! Let me tell you what's gonna happen if you walk through that door. Congratulations. You make an enemy of one of the most powerful organizations on the planet. So that's the trailer to the forthcoming movie, Unplanned. It's going to be released on March 29th. Right now, uh, the initial uh, distribution is in over 800 theaters nationwide. That's pretty big for a faith-based film, but I mean, it's nothing like a Marvel Cinematic Universe kind of film. I mean, those will be in, uh, you know, on the low end, uh, an Ant-Man would be in like 2,500 film, you know, theaters, and on the high end, uh, an Avengers will be in like 4,000 films, okay? So while it's big for this genre... Uh, it's it's still not anything close to what um, you know the biggest popcorn films would receive. The reason I wanted to bring this film up this week is not just because um, I, I brought it down last. That's why I was in Dallas last week. Is uh, at the request of uh, the filmmakers I, I, after they came here to screen it for uh, for me and uh, Bob Vanderplatz and a few of our people uh, two weeks ago to get our honest opinion. And I gave it to him and I, I told them I thought it was a neutron bomb on Planned Parenthood. They asked um, if I would consider bringing it down uh, and they asked me for a few others, but the, especially down to Dallas to show uh, the team at the blaze, particularly Glenn. And uh, I agreed to do it. That's why I was down in Dallas a couple of weeks ago. And uh, before, when I went into uh, to Glenn, uh, at, at the studio with Glenn and Stu last Thursday, we we're waiting in the top of the hour break, and Glenn is like, I, I don't want to go to this movie this afternoon. <laughs> and I was like, why? He goes, I can't, he goes, Steve, I can't tell another Christian filmmaker their movie sucks. I'm, I'm, I've had to do it too many times. And he goes, you know, I, I, the head of Paramount, and then, and, and whatever the studios were that did the uh, 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 Noah movies with Russell Crowe, which was an abomination, and the uh, the 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 Ten Commandments retelling with Christian Bale as a as a paranoid schizophrenic Moses and God as an eight year old brat. Okay, he goes, I, you know, I told him right to their faces. I, these movies are trash. They're sacrilegious. They won't be successful. And I'm just between watching mainstream studios ruin, um, you know, ruin our stories. And then the cheesy factor of Christian movies, I just, I can't do it anymore. And I said, well, um, if you know anything about me, you know, I don't just leave my house or a five square mile radius of my home. I don't do it for any, I don't do it for just anything. You know, and it's nice, you know, the esprit de corps down to that building, everybody gets along so well, you know, it's a, it's, it's a nice, pleasant place to go to work in. It, it's also 10 hours from where I live. So uh, I would not have gone all the way down there just for the esprit de corps. The reason I went down there is because I believed in this movie. And so we go to do the screening uh, Thursday evening and um, they've got it all set in one of the rooms down there at uh, the blaze. And I was sitting in the front row and I'm like, you know what? I've seen this movie already. If somebody, somebody else who hasn't seen the movie yet, sit in the front row. And, you know, cause I kind of want to sit in the back and watch everybody's reaction anyway. And Glenn grabs him by the arm. He goes, Oh no, you're going to sit right next to me here in the front row. Cause if this movie sucks, I want you close by where I can tell you 
about it. <laughs> right? And so we get into the movie and I can tell from his reaction that he is blown away. And everybody there was blown away. And afterwards, Glenn told me he thought it was the most impactful pro-life and or faith-based film that he has seen since The Passion, is what he told me. And after we did the screening, a couple of the producers of the film uh, that uh, were with me, and one of them used to be a mucky muck at Warner Brothers that actually decided he made enough and done enough there, and God was calling him to help make and promote better faith-based movies. So that's how, what he does now, and he was involved, and I can only imagine he's involved in this project now. Uh, And uh, we went to dinner afterwards, and that's where we found out that um, the rating had come in for Unplanned. What did what do you think when you think of a movie that's rated R? And you know, there's actually a formula for how you get an R rating, according to the MPAA. You can't have more than if you have more than two F bombs, or maybe it's even more than one. I think you can do one or two F bombs in a PG thirteen. Anything more than that, and it's automatically rated R. Seriously, there's like a ratio. Um, graphic full frontal nudity. It's it's got to be full frontal. It can't just be. You can do like uh, you can like show one set of breasts and get a PG thirteen. Any if it's graphic full frontal, uh, graphic full you know nudity of simulated believable simulated sex, extreme violence and gore. I mean, if you look at you know some of the movies that get rated PG thirteen nowadays, sometimes you're asking yourself, what do you need to do to get an R rating around here? Well, we can add one more criteria now to the list. Here's what else you can do to get an R rating. Step on the neck of a shibboleth of the damned. That will do it. Because that's that's what this movie does. And they had an excuse with the passion because it is. It's very graphic. It's about a crucifixion, guys. There really wasn't a way to, you know, put a Band-Aid on that or an antibacterial wipe on that one. This movie is not nearly as graphic as the passion is. But here's what it is. It is the truth. It is going to force people to come to grips with what happens in that clinic, in that quote-unquote clinic. And the reason they rated it R is this is their hope. If you look at the amount of movies, you know, my buddy Ted Barrett, Movie Guide, puts out that study every year we talk about of the movies that do the best at the box office, and it's always the one that have pro-family or, or, or conservative themes and values. It is rare that an R-rated movie does exceedingly well at the box office. In recent years, you're thinking of The Passion, the Fifty Shades movies, but it's very rare for an R-rated film to be one of the 10, 15 highest grossing movies at the end of a year doesn't happen very often so they know right away there's more of a limited audience and their hope by the way is that those of you that have that because i get your emails well we don't believe in seeing any rated r movies okay you know so you missed out on schindler's list and you missed out on the passion okay see they're hoping you hold that in effect because this movie isn't nearly as graphic as either one of those two movies are The difference is this movie steps on the neck of a shibboleth of the damned. This movie forces you to come to grips. You will know what really goes on in the abortion room. You will know. 
And, 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 you know, my wife loves that, uh, pimple popper gal show that's on TLC right now. She loves that show. She's like fascinated by it. Okay. Um, or maybe she doesn't like it or because it's on when we go to bed. So maybe it puts her to sleep. So maybe it's not a compliment now that I think about it, but, um, it's that, that, that film is, or that TV show is, is considered TV 13. I looked it up. That's dramatically more graphic than this is. But the way that this film is cleverly shot, and you'll know in the, I'm not going to spoil anything in the first five minutes, it will rock your world. You know why? Because we're going to get beyond our speeches now. We're going to get beyond the theoretical now. We're going to get beyond the debate, the philosophical. We're just going to go there. Do you really know what it is we're even talking about? Do you know what it is you're trying to defeat? Do you really know what it is that you're advocating? Do you know? You will be made to know in this film. And it is done in a way that no one is with excuse. But it is also so cleverly filmed and shot that it's not gratuitous or anything of that nature whatsoever. I would have no, I wouldn't let our little our littlest ones see the passion until they were 11, 12, 13 years old. Any of our three kids. If this film had come out five years ago and they were old enough to understand what abortion is, I'd let them all see it. That's why they rated it R. Because they're hoping they couldn't stop the movie from being made. They don't want to make a martyr out of the movie because as we just had this conversation with Daniel Crane, I mean, history has shown whether the church does it or the pagans do it. Whenever we put band on something, what happens to its sales? Human nature kicks in. So they don't want to do that either. So instead, they're going to kind of try and kick it out to pasture and hope that you'll hold on to your ironclad. Anything rated R is bad. That's what the hope is here. I take it as a great compliment that the film accomplished what I hoped it would when they started making it a year ago. Because the the people behind this movie are the people that bought the film rights to my book, A Nefarious Plot. And since that's the project that right now they're planning on doing when this film is completed, I've taken a great interest in this film for a couple of different reasons. One, this has been the number one issue of my career has been the life issue. My own life is at the intersection of this whole debate. I've done more on this issue than any subject or topic in my career. Number two is I kind of wanted to see whether these guys were good at tackling some difficult subject matter in a compelling way. The trailer of that film, in my view, doesn't do it justice. And I would actually urge them, now that they got a rated R, I'd actually urge them to take the training wheels off. It kind of alludes to it. But, but this is a film, and th- there is a redemption story here, but just as we talked about earlier with the Southern Baptist Convention, there is no redemption without a repentance. And there's no repentance without honesty. And this film's really honest. And that's why they slapped a rated R movie, a rated R on it. If you were wondering, is this going to be another cheesy Christian movie? Is this going to be a movie that won't make a dent? You know, they, they, would have, they would have slapped a warning label on Uncle Tom's Cabin, too, if they could have. Rest assured, be confident, this film is every bit the devastating pro-life story you hoped it would be. And you can tell, because one of the communities that is the strongest supporter of Planned Parenthood, Hollywood, slapped a rated R on it. 
you always attack what you fear. And they're right to fear this movie. I would urge you, don't let them get away with it when it comes out. Any thoughts on that, gentlemen? Yeah, going back to the conversation we had a couple weeks ago with uh, Kathy Tran and and, um, Ralph Northam and talking about uh, redemption and and how do we love our enemies uh, and what does that look like? Remember... Remember our own stories, our own testimonies, but also remember testimonies of people like Abby Johnson as well. I hope that this movie will show not only the honest side of what happens, but also the redemption mm-hmm. and where the source of that is. Mm-hmm. I I didn't go to the screening that was here a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I will see it when it comes out in the theaters. I'm hoping that it shows that side as well. You know, there's some billboards in Des Moines right now. I'm not ashamed of my abortion kind of thing. And my 8-year-old and 11-year-old daughters just see those things and they're just appalled. Well, we as Christians need to go out. We need to see this movie. And then we need to go out and hold this movie up like a billboard in our churches uh, to everybody we know so that uh, people are reacting uh, to it like, my daughters are to those billboards like this. This is an abomination. They get it. Why on earth don't the adults? That's what my daughters don't understand. The world needs to come to understand. That's also why we like to support people who are standing up to try to affect change, like Miss Victoria Hearst. She's actually standing up against her own family, uh, the the Hearst family that owns Cosmopolitan magazine. Uh, she's disturbed by its tilt uh, towards more, shall we say, adult-oriented content, aimed still, though, at daughters like Todd's or mine and yours. And her basic plea to her family's business is, hey, if you guys want to uh, make Playboy, I guess the law permits you to do that, but then you should be treated. Uh, as such, you should be shielded from minors. And she's urging, uh, you know, so many of you ask me all the time, what can I do? I'm busy. Here's something you can do right now. Go to Cosmo Hurts Kids, H-U-R-T-S, CosmoHurtsKids.com and lend your voice to say, hey, um, if you want to go there, fine. But, you know, be a better corporate citizen, be a better steward. This should be shielded from minors because it's not material that's appropriate for them. CosmoHurtsKids.com is the website. CosmoHurtsKids.com. One more thought on Unplanned. Um, If the movie sucked or if it wasn't any good, I wouldn't have condemned it. I probably just would have been a lot bit a lot different and less full-throated in my support. And you probably would have picked up on that. If you were wondering, is this going to be another cheesy Christian movie? Did they fail to score points? The fact it's rated R tells you all you need to know. They're afraid. And you know what? Having seen the film twice, they should be. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.